Hello and welcome back to Project 99. It has been a while. We are finally back. We've we've had some pretty uh, crazy shit going on. <laughs> we've had uh, we had a death in the we family. had a death in the family followed by the funeral, um, and then I had a complete fucking mental breakdown. That was fun. Don't you love when people mess with your psych meds? That's my yeah. fucking favorite. Um, but everything's good now. We're both back. Also, I got the COVID vaccine. I was fucking dying for like three days. Mm-hmm. Um, the past three weeks has been a nightmare and <laughs> we're finally back <laughs> and so much shit has been going on. Um, mm-hmm. we're mostly going to talk about Afghanistan today, but before we get into all of that, um, well, first of all, Mick, how are you, how are you holding up? <laughs> it's been a rough month. <laughs> yeah. Well, my mom passed away July 31st. So, um, you know, that was hard. And well, then- not only that, but the week before she passed, um, we did like a benefit, yeah. And we then did we a so we were dinner benefit. We made like me and Mick made uh, like three hundred cupcakes one night. So I mean, we yeah. we've just been slammed. Yeah, it was um it was kind of like a lot of uh, trying to get things ready for her to come home, and then it just got you know, it just got short circuited. So that's how life does you sometimes. But um you know she's in a happier place now, and uh, you know. I uh, have been struggling against, uh, I don't want to call it, COVID. Uh, <laughs> Long haul effects? I think that's what I they guess, call them. Yeah. So I've been to like a bunch of doctors and they're still trying to figure out what the hell's going on. But I guess lots of people have reactions to, you know, COVID. And, and a lot of it is like your own immune system gets confused. It doesn't know, you know, it recognizes COVID and the protein that makes the, you know, spikes on the COVID. And then it, attacks other proteins and you know whether it's from actually getting COVID or actually getting the vaccine it's not the fault of the vaccine it's just your immune system is not 100% perfect it sometimes misrec you know doesn't recognize things the way it's supposed to that's where we get autoimmune diseases from your body attacks its own joints and <clears throat> you know different things so it's a scary time for everybody you know um, whether people you know want to get vaccinated or don't want to get vaccinated I mean <clears throat> you have to kind of I guess just pick a side. I mean, I know a lot of people that work at places, like even here locally um, at Wheeling Hospital, there were protests today over, um, you know, the mandatory vaccines. And I saw in Texas where um, a hospital was advertising that they were hiring and vaccines were not required. And so a reporter asked them, how do you provide safe care to your patients when you don't even mandate your you know, staff get vaccinated. I mean, and we just, I mean, that's a slippery slope too, because it's like today it's the COVID vaccine, but then what if someone's like, why well, don't want hepatitis vaccines or I don't, you know, want. It is, but at the same time, you know, um, understaffing is a danger to patients, a big danger right now, because there's already a doctor and nurse shortage. People are leaving the profession as it is. And, you know, when these people were, you got you to gotta understand this, that when those people were in the midst of a war against COVID and there was no vaccine, they went to work every day risking their lives to treat people and be up close and personal with very sick COVID people. So now there's a vaccine and everybody's like, well, you have to get vaccinated. And they're like, well, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be forced to do it. I want to think about it. I mean, I've heard of people having reactions to it, whatever. And... You know, I guess it's just 
they feel like they've already been in the heat of battle when there wasn't a vaccine. So they shouldn't be immediately forced to take it or lose their job. I mean, so I just feel like you're going to end up with some hospitals that are like, you know, our hospital policy is everyone has to be vaccinated and other hospitals where people, it's like smoking and no smoking establishments. Remember before it was Mm -hmm. mandated that there was no smoking anywhere? It surprises me though. I mean, not with nurses because I think, uh, (laughs) I think a lot of nurses think they're doctors mm-hmm. and so their opinion on whether the vaccine is safe really doesn't mean jack shit to me but mm-hmm. doctors themselves being critical or weary of it would concern me right because they they do have a doctorate well in another thing is you know and i don't want to i'm not an anti-vaxxer but um i have had people in the medical establishment whose whose um education and experience i personally know to be sound Tell me that there are people have that some people that do have reactions and that they don't like medical professionals talking about it. And I'm like, that's that creates this whole atmosphere of conspiracy, because when you start telling people that are witnessing people having reactions. Well, we don't want people to know that. What are you doing? Here's a conspiracy. You're creating a cover up. I told you, um, I just got my second covid vaccine. Um, I put it off forever, mainly because I didn't want to get sick. Um, and everybody I know who got the vaccine said that they were pretty miserably pretty sick, sick for yeah. a week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had COVID in December. So I thought, oh, you know, I probably got antibodies for a good mm-hmm. four to five months. But then that time was up. So I was like, all right, probably time to get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Plus, like when it first came out, I have to say I was really skeptical. Right. I mean, and then look what happened. Like the Johnson & Johnson kind of failed off and... You know, it seemed like Pfizer and Moderna, people were getting it, seemed pretty safe. I was like, all right, you know, letting other people be the guinea pig for a little while. Still wearing my mask and everything, social distancing, and plus I'm a fucking agoraphobic, so I never leave my house anyway. I work with like three people at my office. I don't see anybody else. So I was like, not really rushing it. But then, you know, people at work showed concern uh, that they wanted everybody to be vaccinated, and I wasn't going to fight it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I I really, through all the reading I've done about it, I really don't find any evidence that would support Mm -hmm. that it's a danger to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, more helpful than anything so I got it and when I got the second vaccine I was 10 times as sick as I was when I actually had COVID it was fucking miserable it really was mm-hmm. and I feel bad because uh I went with someone to get my second dose when they got their first dose mm-hmm. and then they had to watch me be sick for like three or four days I'm like now they're not gonna want to get right. their second well, dose. well see what happened to me was um I was researching it trying to figure out like if I was gonna get it and which one I was gonna get and my boyfriend got um his first shot and then immediately before he had the second one, you know, immediately after first one, obviously he wasn't immune yet. He got COVID. So I was watching him be like completely like he wasn't sick, but he just literally slept for days. And that's not like him, you know. So I was like, oh, my God, like this shot's going to kill him. I've never seen him sleep like this for ridiculous amounts of time. And then he went back to work after the weekend killed himself to go back to work because he was still super tired works for a week and is still sick and goes and gets tested finds out he was at work all week with covid because he got the shot and he thought it was just a shot we thought it was a shot well in that meantime i got sick with covid because i had no shot at that point so i've I've been checking to see if i have antibodies and the reason is because i've had all of these like relapses where i feel like i'm having the same symptoms i had with covid um, so I don't want to get the shot because I'm trying to get past it. You know what I mean? Right, so right. I am, you know, going to a doctor to find out 
what whether it's related to that or not. But right now, like I've been advised by medical professionals not like to get it. Right, right. Because who knows what's going on and you can make it worse or whatever. So. Trying to figure out that problem first. Right. Yeah, I can understand that. I'm getting and a little I think bit worried. People, people forcing it, like saying, well, everybody has to get vaccinated right now. I'm just like, but you don't know what my specific situation is. Right. And another thing. Well, but I think that's also another thing, too. I mean, if you're courteous and you, you still do the six, the six foot distance right, and you yeah. wear a mask. and But, you know, it, it's the people that are crossing their arms and throwing a fit and they don't want to do the social distancing. They don't want to wear a mask. They don't want to get yeah. vaccinated. They just want to pretend like COVID's not real. Those are really the people that are becoming a problem. And, I, you know, I'm starting to worry. I have a friend of mine who I'm trying to convince to get the vaccine. Um, and she's a biology major, so she by no means thinks that she's going to get fucking microchipped or anything. But, you know, normal concerns when there's a new vaccine out. Mm-hmm. Um, but she just started back to school and at college. Mm-hmm. And the college that she's going to has a mask mandate that really no one's following. And they won't give, any, give her any options to do online courses. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to push her like, man, you need to get vaccinated because this shit's getting bad again. You know, and, th- and that's part of the problem is that, I mean, her college is supposed to be enforcing a mask mandate, but they're not doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, and now you've got them crammed in classrooms right next to each other. And it's yeah. like you won't offer people an option. Right. So I don't know. It's just all becoming really problematic. I know we're at, we have like over 2000 new cases a day again. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's getting back up there. Um but you know what's crazy? Like, I know Australia is not as densely populated, doesn't have as many people as the United States, but only 27% of the population is fully vaccinated in Australia. And their cases are like 1,000 a day. Well, I think that's, a, and that's like another part of it. And their are like three. I think a part of it is that the American culture of so many people just throwing a fit and being pretending like COVID doesn't exist. Like, can y'all, if you don't want to get vaccinated, like, all right, I guess I'm not going to fight with people about that. But, I, I mean, it's your body. It's your choice. I can't really argue that, I guess. But then, you know what I mean? Businesses should still be allowed to, to require masks or, yeah. you know, like nightclubs and shit. If they're like, no, you can't come in here if you're not vaccinated. Okay, that's it's a fucking nightclub. You can do what they want. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't be. It's a be, private business. America just has this strange culture of, well, we don't want to be forced to do stuff, but also we don't want other people to have the right to tell us we can't be here. Right. It's yeah. like, that's not how it works. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll see. I, everybody I talk to seems to think that we're going to end up in another shutdown before October. I don't think that's going to happen. I well, think they'll probably cancel like concerts and sporting events, but I don't mm-hmm. think they're going to let people stay home from work. Well, again. We were talking about this yesterday. Um, and I think, I mean, I could be wrong, but a lot of the media spin, like I watch what the media spins before elections, because when Trump was running against Hillary, there was a lot of like really pro, um, like, for example, there was a story about the the athletes, the, the Olympic athletes that were in like where is it Brazil or somewhere that were caught up in some scandal or something. They got arrested or supposedly did a robbery, and it was like I felt like all the stories at that time were really meant to be either racially divisive or they were meant to um, make you feel super patriotic, yeah, nationalistic, yeah, or be like, well, those they should have to be accountable for their actions. You know what I mean, like. And I felt like it was all taken a pro-Trump slant. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, subconsciously, I feel like the media is pushing for Trump. (laughs) That's just how I felt about it. Even though there was so much pro-Hillary stuff out there, I felt like the subconscious messages were like patriotism. And you know what I mean? Like that. So Typical Republican trope. Right. Yeah. So I just felt like he was going to win because the media was sending out all these like nationalistic vibes and shit. But... And now I feel like it's they're doing that with Biden. Like, he completely hosed this Afghanistan thing, okay? But by the same token, like, and we're going to get into all that today, 
I feel like, you know, when Trump did shit wrong, he went on Fox News and got cradled and they made excuses for him and they gave all of his supporters talking points to go by. And like, I didn't agree with that because I'm like, you should ask hard questions. Even if you support that person, there's always something you can ask them that's going to challenge them. Biden is literally getting ripped apart by CNN. So anybody who wants to say, well, CNN's biased toward Democrats and, you know, well, I'm not going to say they didn't 100% hate Trump, but they're not doing Biden any favors right now. They're like literally ripping him limb from limb. If it's not because of this Afghanistan shit, it's because he's failing to meet all of the progressive goals he got elected on. Like he won't, you know, do away with the filibuster. He won't add Supreme Court justice. He won't, like they're constantly tearing Biden down. I'm like, okay, if you got Fox and CNN tearing Biden down, like I don't see him being a two-term president. I just don't I see I didn't see that from the beginning. And you know, well, let me put a pause right here. We'll talk a little bit about local news. Then we'll come back to this point about Biden. Um, so I don't really have anything for, for local news other than very local news in, in the city of Wheeling. We talked about the hospital already. The other thing was I found out today that they are, they finally accepted a bid. West Virginia finally accepted a bid to do uh, restoration of the suspension bridge. So wow. I'm like, watch this, dude. It's been two years. The suspension bridge has been closed, right? No joke. I was talking about this with my therapist and he's like, this is so fitting for you. An agoraphobic with a fear of being trapped who lives on an island and they're slowly closing all the fucking exits. <laughs> like this, no joke. This is my life, right? So um, there's only three ways off of the island that we live on. We are on an island in a river. Um, the one right now has major construction on it. The uh, Fort Henry Bridge is a complete fucking nightmare. Um, and then the suspension bridge, which has been closed since 2019. And the only other way to get off the island is to go through Ohio. So I just found out that they're closing uh, the exit to get into downtown Wheeling sometime in September. So I'm like, great. Now I'm going to have to drive all the way through the city of Wheeling, like down it and up it just to get to my office. So I bought a fucking bicycle because I was like, <laughs> fuck this. I'll just bike across the suspension bridge. It's still pedestrians are allowed on it. So I, I buy this bike and it's going to be here in mid-September. And I'm like, bet fucking anything. They start construction on the suspension bridge and I won't even be able to walk across it. Like yeah. I am going to be so fucked. I hate this shit. Isn't there a walking path across the other one, though, too? The other yeah, it's all closed right now because of the construction. Oh, I mean, okay. they've got it all jacked up. That's what I said. If pe if somebody who's a pedestrian, you know, doesn't have a car, doesn't drive, mm -hmm. I have zero idea how they'll get to Wheeling because uh, that, they'll have to take they'll the bus. They'll have to ride yeah. the city bus, yeah. To go all the way around through Ohio, but... Uh, and for those of you who live in parts of the world where you have excellent public transit, fuck you guys. Because, <laughs> like, yeah. I just have to say how jealous I am that, you know, we went all over Europe and didn't have a single problem like finding a train a bus a taxi a whatever you needed to get from point a to point b the metro whatever and we come back to pittsburgh and like which is a major international airport is pittsburgh and it's like an hour and 15 minutes from here and we couldn't get home from the airport because like no taxi was this was the days before uber too yeah this was days before uber but i mean it's just like what we yeah. have no rail system Shout there. out to my homie Jermaine, too, for being, like, the only Uber driver in the entire city of Yay, Wheeling. <laughs> I feel so bad for him. Literally the only Uber driver. But um, Speaking of other rarities in Wheeling, three days ago, they did have a Pride event at the Wheeling Heritage oh, yeah. Port. I heard about that. And I was, like, really happy to see that, you know, people in the community aren't intimidated by the Trump factor. that <laughs> They still come out and get together and, you know have their celebration because they should have a right to do that yeah that's so nobody cool. bothered them as far as i know i didn't, I didn't go hear over any, I didn't surprisingly hear any. wheeling's like a little tiny blue city for as many you know 
Trump people as we have in the surrounding rural areas. And like, funny enough, like on the island, I remember I, I specifically bought a Black Lives Matter flag and put it on my house, not because I necessarily believe in specific organizations, but just in the message itself. Mm -hmm. um, and there were just Trump flags everywhere. So we bought one and put it on the house and we lived next to an elementary school. Mm -hmm. And one of the kids didn't, it wasn't me, but um, my boyfriend at the time who was living here stopped and told him like thanked him for having little black boy thanked him for having it on the Aww. house and i was just like you know what fuck all these trump people like it was just mm -hmm. doing it to be like counter into you know what i mean like fuck you you people don't run this place right like i'm not with you don't think i'm with you like my neighbor had a trump flag up and i'm like here i'm gonna put this up just so you know we're not on the same side mm -hmm. like fuck all that mess but then i was i kept it up for like ever until until it got raggedy because yeah. i was just like you know what if if that is long if if people in the community especially kids see it and think the Trump flags are bad mm -hmm. and this flag is, you know, these people are going to be safe. Mm -hmm. Then the same thing with gay pride flags. You know what I mean? Do I necessarily feel like hanging one up is like, show, you know, showing my gay pride? No, not really. But if it makes other people in the community know that this person is a safe ally or whatever, mm -hmm. I'm here for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think, area. I think we, you know, we. But we, oh, as I was saying, Wheeling itself, we have a lot of, I mean, we have like the Italian Fest and then they started having um, some kind of, they have the Greek Fest and they had We've some kind had of uh, the, the Indian years. Fest. What do they call that? Some kind of, uh, they do some kind of, uh, I think it might be the Krishnas that you do know, it. You know, the Krishnas? Yeah, they have that where they take the chalk. and they Well, they do the Festival of Colors, but there's one they do in downtown Wheeling, too. Oh, I didn't There's, like, know a that. lot of different cultural stuff that goes on around oh, here, yeah, yeah. surprisingly. And if you go up to Weirton, which is, like, I don't know, what, 25 minutes, 30 minutes from here, north um, on Route 2, and it's, like, there's so many cool names up in Weirton. Like, I went to EMS classes up there, and, you know, the... Wojeskis and like there's so many different like Polish and Russian sounding names I'm just like wow like this is so awesome Italian names Greek names and it's just cool to sit in a classroom and hear them call roll and there's like wow there's like so much ethnicity I was surprised here. too that when um a lot of the George Floyd stuff was going on that there were a couple different um I don't want to call them protests but people that got together and stood in solidarity mm -hmm. uh with the Black Lives Matter movement in the mm -hmm. city of Wheeling. Mm -hmm. I was surprised. I'm like, well, you're oh, not yeah. you're not going to find that one county over in Marshall County. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think Wheeling, I mean, we get, a, we get a little bit of points for being a little bit more culturally accepted, but West Virginia is like over 90-some percent white, so, yeah, you know. It's just exposure. I just feel like if people were exposed more, they would just, like, get over it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah I mean, sure. cities are, and we were talking about this with Afghanistan, too, like, you know, in the bigger cities, you find people that are more you know, liberal in their ideas and their thinking. And, like, in the rural areas, it's, like, extremely religious and very backwards as far as science and stuff. And that's, like, what happens in every country. Like, when you're in, you know what I mean? Right, absolutely. When you're in an urban area, you can't be, like, all butthurt about the f way the guy looks next to you because, like, you got to ride the subway with him and shit. Like, you can't be, like, that offended. And I just feel like when people live in rural areas and they get into a groove of life, like, that's what they're comfortable with. But, dude, step out of your comfort zone for a minute mm. and, like, just relax. I like, typically find be, that be who they are. people who live in the cities who end up going on that uh, side of being racist. And, you know, I'm not saying all Trump supporters are racist, but you know the type. Super mm -hmm. racist, super Republican, super, like, conservative in all aspects, religious, whatever. Uh, even though a lot of those things contradict each other that live in cities it's because they find the problems in the cities and they find a way to blame minorities for them and it's oh, like that's true yeah it's like mm -hmm. what the and they just like pinpoint all their hate in one area mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. which always blows my mind because 
specifically living on the island and like seeing some of the comments that I know people in the community have made, I'm just like, can you walk outside? Because I don't see minorities being the issue here. Like, right. again, we are like over 90% white. The crackheads and drug dealers that you're talking about in your area are as white as Casper, bro. Yeah. Like, yeah. why do you pretend? Like, it blows my mind. It blows my But it fits a narrative. It's equal opportunity. It's equal opportunity. Or you yeah. like, you look at the mugshots in this area. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's predominantly white. <laughs> there you go. I mean, well, I mean, if we're 98% white, though, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's just gonna... it never made any sense to me. The people in this area who try to blame minorities on like crime or this and that, because it's just like, bro, it ain't happening. Yeah, it's just not. There's no way <laughs> there's there where there's the most crime is where there's the most drugs. I mean, I blame so much stuff on drugs. Really? Yeah, we have a massive drug problem. I mean, because you can be a really poor person, but have good ethics and like really not unless you're starving, not steal. Just deal with the fact that you're poor, because I know I mean, everybody I knew is poor. So, like, if you have a moral character that you're not going to steal, like, it doesn't matter how poor you are. Rich people steal. Rich people are corrupt. So, I mean, it that just need, just the fact that you're poor doesn't make you, like, oh, that person's going to steal. But drugs just feels like it's going to make people need something so bad. They're going to do all kind of things they shouldn't do. Like, your moral character is, like, overruled by drug, drug abuse. So when you find, and plus gangs and stuff, so you find, like, more violence and more, like, societal dysfunction anywhere there's serious drug problems. It doesn't have to do with guns either. You know no. what I mean? All the shootings that happen. No, I think, like, if anything, we should be able to look at the whole country and be like, look, poverty-stricken areas with low education end up dr- and low access to health care end up with drug problems, and it's like, all right, well, one plus one is two. We know what causes it. It has nothing to do with anybody's skin color or how they vote. Yeah. You know, um, other than the fact that if you live in a state that's super Republican, I mean, look at that right now with COVID numbers, all of these Republican states and numbers are just out of fucking control. Well, it's follow the leader. And, you know, just because like we've been psychology, the study of psychology has been around forever. We know how the human mind, what it's susceptible to. But we don't have leaders who use psychology to get people to do good things. They, they use psychology to manipulate people to get something from them that they want. That's what our leaders do. If we had good leaders, good moral leaders that would use psychology to motivate people to be good, they would be good. Okay, so then let me sidebar back to our point here so we can start talking about this, all the stuff in Afghanistan. Um, So about this whole thing, everything that I've been reading about it, because admittedly, I will say a lot of people were asking me about it. And and at first it surprised me because I'm like, why are so many people asking me about the stuff that's going on in Afghanistan? And then I remember, oh, yeah, you've fucking moron you literally do a podcast about politics like this is why people are asking you about it i forget sometimes um but i was completely avoiding the news about it man i was having it was it was a pretty rough month and i was like no media no news no Mm -hmm. social media like totally shut off just trying to get my shit together um so then this past week i've just been binging on it you know reading about so much of what's going on there um and the thing i think that gets me the most about this is you know Trump said that he wanted to pull the, tr- the troops out of Afghanistan mm-hmm. when he was in office. Okay. And Biden's following through on that. Now, whether you want to argue that Trump would have done it differently or blah, 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 whatever. That is a red flag to me because I'm like, wait, you're telling me that two different presidents, one on one side of the aisle and one on the other, one wanted to take the troops out of Afghanistan. The other one is doing it. that sets up a red flag for me because I'm just Mm -hmm. like, you know, from presidency to presidency, it's like they want total opposites. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it seems like both of them wanted the troops out, Mm -hmm. that was shocking to me. So, you know, I start listening to Biden and him, him talking about the troops coming out. First of all, big mistake. And we, we literally laid up a timeline 
mm-hmm. to pull them out. That that was a mistake. I feel like anybody could have seen that from 100 miles away. I've been trying to read on what, you know, our generals and things are, are, are saying about it. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a, clearly, I need, I need some input from somebody with military experience. Because I keep listening to all these political commentators and, you know, people on the news. And they all just want to bicker about things that are opinion. And I'm like, okay, what are the facts here? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? What are what are the people who are in charge of our security well, saying about what, this? What I'll say about the political, about Trump and Biden both wanting to take the troops out. You know, right now, elect, I mean, actually for decades now, elections have been getting closer and closer and closer. 50-50, 49 to 51. You know, and there's an independent group of people that will float back and forth between Republican and Democrat. I was one of those people for years because I feel the platforms of the two parties are artificial. They don't, you know, you you can be pro-gun and still be a a fiscal liberal or, or you know, social issues. You could be liberal, but you still believe in having a right to a firearm. So I think the platforms are kind of too uh, concrete. And so you get this group of independent people who float back and forth. And um, I can't ever see myself voting for a Republican ever again, but because they've gone on the totally to me extreme end of things but um so getting but most people want us to get out of these other countries we have military bases in 800 countries the second highest country is russia and they have like seven or eight bases in different places you know and a lot of those places like japan and italy they don't really want our military bases there anymore you know and who has military bases in our country? Nobody. You know, we act so, like, protective of our borders as far as we would never let anybody come in here, even an international organization come in here. But yet we go all over the world and put our troops everywhere and set up camp and stay there forever. And it costs us trillions of dollars. We can't keep our infrastructure up. Well, we can't have health care. That's what exactly what I was going to say. When people keep asking me, like, well, what do you think? Do you think it's the right move to pull out of Afghanistan? Do you think we should stay? And I said, I will say the same thing about it now that I said when Trump talked about pulling the troops out was, I'm glad I'm not the person who has to make that call because honestly, I don't think there's a good solution for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, if we leave, shit's going to go bad. Afghanistan's history, okay, which we'll talk about. Okay, but ask yourself Why? Well, I get, we'll talk about the history yeah. of Afghanistan and why it's, we're, I mean, why we're, we didn't create the problem there. Right. But I mean, if we leave, is it going to get worse? Is there a danger to us? Maybe there is. I don't really know. I can't claim to have the intelligence. I mean, I know there's a lot of people showing concern that if we leave there, are there going to be attacks on our soil? And I'm like, do I think that? No, I think we have one of the best militaries in the world. But I mean, 2011, 2001 happened, you know, September 11th, that, that happened here. So mm-hmm. Is it impossible? No. I mean, I just don't have the answers for it. All mm-hmm. I have to say is I can't believe that we live in a country where there's people dying because they can't afford insulin and we have 800 military bases across the world. Right. You know what I mean? I come right. back to a single issue thing. Maybe I am a single issue voter, but it's not that I don't have compassion and sympathy and that I don't think that they're, we shouldn't be helping the rest of the world where we can. I just think that America doesn't really have its shit together. No, and you know so, what's you know what's crazy is that you know we don't care that women are executed in uh, Saudi Arabia. Right, exactly. We don't care that women aren't barely allowed to drive in Saudi Arabia. That there's a girl in prison, I think, still to this day because she advocated for even though now they're letting women drive, the woman who first advocated for it is still locked up in prison, as far as I know. You know they're repressive of journalists. They killed they they killed and dismembered Jam- Jamal Khashoggi. We know that. 100%. And yet, we don't put any pressure on Saudi Arabia. They're golden. 
But yet we're like, oh, we got to deal with these people like they're terrorists. You know what I mean? Right. It's it's the favoritism. I understand there's global geopolitical reasons why. Okay. But we should have been working on that shit because it makes us look like we're full of shit that we kiss Saudi Arabia's ass, but we're, you know, hardcore against Venezuela because they're a socialist, you know, democracy or we're against, you know, whoever for, for, because we say, well, they're, they're uh, extremist. Well, mm. what do you call Saudi Arabia? Right. Cause they're pretty damn extreme to me, but we, we, we overlook that. Yeah. Well, and this, okay. So this is what I was explaining to someone that asked me, um, not really familiar with it, I guess, because I think sometimes I think people forget, but, uh, when the nine 11 attacks happened, me and most of my friends were in kindergarten, right? <laughs> So it's funny that when I talk to people about it now that they just, they think that, you know, millennials, people my age, just have all this knowledge. And I'm like, no, unless we, we didn't talk about this shit in school, right? Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't surprise me that people my age, you know, like, oh, well, why did we end up in Afghanistan Which in the first bullshit. place? And I'm like, okay, well, you know, what we were taught in school throughout the public education system is that we were in Afghanistan to fight the terrorists that made 9-11 happen, Okay. But is where it gets confusing. And I think uh, me and my brother, you know, had this discussion with our parents not long after it happened. Um, So I guess we've always kind of known about it. But I was speaking to someone the other day that said, okay, so, you know, we're in Afghanistan to fight the terrorists from 9-11. But those people were Saudi Arabian. So why were we in Afghanistan? And I'm like, all right, so here's a good point, right? We never, we don't want to fight with the Saudis, right? But the whole thing was Osama bin Laden, who we trained actually, uh, responsible for 9-11, was a part of Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda, however you want to say it, who was hiding in Afghanistan. That's the whole premise, right, of why we go there. Mm-hmm. But before we were even there, before 2000, 2001, before September 11th, Afghanistan had its own problems. Okay? Sure. So we'll do a little brief history here. I actually found a timeline on PBS that's pretty good. You can read all the details of it. But Afghanistan became a country in 1921. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of problems with the British, okay? As everyone did, yeah, as everyone did. Um, But it was crazy to me to read about how in the 50s that they had, you know, points where women were attending universities and were allowed to be in public. And, you know, they didn't always have these restrictive rules and Mm -hmm. this Islamic rule as we have been taught that they have always had, right? So it wasn't Mm -hmm. like that in the 50s. But there was opposition to it that later in the 70s led to um, people who wanted it to be led in a more uh, religiously controlled way. And we have, you know, the 70s and 80s when the uh, Mujahideen comes into play, which was, I'm guessing, uh, I don't know, I, I think you would call it the first real terrorist group that was out of Afghanistan. I mean, would you agree? Oh, the Taliban? The, the Mujahideen. Oh, the Mujahideen? M- Mujahideen, yeah. Well, I mean, the Mujahideen were kind of like dis- uh, a throw together of a bunch of different groups from what I understand about them is that you know, they were like kind of uh, more modern and liberal thinking people. And then there were the extremists. But when the Soviet Union came in, um, you know, they kind of joined forces together to fight the external enemy. Right. And that's when, you know, we encouraged them to be more radically religious because we, we actually encouraged we, as this in idea. The, the United, United States, States yes. encouraged the idea among the Mujahideen that, well, these Russians are infidels. They're coming in to take over your country. And, you know, it's just like every other geopolitical place in the world. 
you know, one country decides that they want to have a foothold and control in that country to keep another superpower or country from getting. So when, you know, Afghanistan was is juxtaposition between Russia and India, which was controlled by the British, um, that that was where the British and the Russians kind of had this, oh, each one of us has to get our foot in the door first, you know. And then it became the two superpowers, the U.S. and, and in, the eight, in the 80s, the U.S. and Russia in Afghanistan. You right. know what I mean? Right, yes. Yeah. So just to be clear, uh, before the United States occupied Afghanistan in the 70s and 80s, there was a rising of people who were against uh, the liberal movement that was happening there. Women were getting more rights, mm-hmm. um, attending college, things like that. Um, the Soviets were there and... Basically, the Mujahideen was the extremist group that was religious and wanted to put an end to that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the United States stoked that fire. Uh, Mick actually sent me an article. It, was, it had pictures in it of kids, children, reading books, um, basically telling them that, you know, all these people are, uh, what do they call them? Uh, infidels. infidels. These people are infidels, mm-hmm. trying to drum up all this hatred for the Soviets. That were, these books were funded by the United States. And these kids still, still to this day, have them and mm-hmm. read them. Um, so I guess what backfires there is, you know, we inspired this whole movement of people to hate Russians that were occupying their country because they were quote unquote infidels. Um, but now that turned on us because now we're now they see us as the infidels. So it doesn't really. Yeah. But so this article that I told you about was in the Washington Post. One of them. There's been many articles written about this because uh, you know the documents were released that contained this information. That Afghan school children, um, it says, with textbooks filled with violent images and militant Islamic teachings, part of covert attempts to spur resistance to the Soviet occupation, the United States spent millions of dollars to supply them with these books. Well, not only that, too, but as I said, this uh, this PBS timeline is a really good timeline of things. And it mm-hmm. mentions that specifically in 1986, the Mujahideen received weapons, arms from mm-hmm. from the United States, oh, yeah, Britain, 100%. China, mm-hmm. Pakistan. I mean... Um, well, they got them, they, we transported them through Pakistan, right. but it came from the United States government, Britain, China. So, I mean, we literally put guns in these people's sure. hands. No, the same thing's true when you look at Iraq and Iran, Iran, you know, we considered Iran a fundamentalist religious state and Saddam Hussein at one time, believe it or not, you know, Donald Rumsfeld, there's the famous picture of him shaking hands with Saddam Hussein because he was considered more secular and you know, kind of tamped down the um, tribal fighting between groups in, in, in Iraq by basically being the guy with the biggest stick. So he kind of kept that under control in Iraq. So we chummed up to him and actually helped him in the war with Iran. So, yeah, we just picked the lesser of two evils. Right. And right. just fund the shit out of them until they be, turn on us and then we got to fight them. It's just gone on and on and on in U.S. foreign policy. So 1986 was when we literally legitimately put arms uh, in the hands of the Mujahideen. And then following that in 88 was when Osama bin Laden and uh, a group of Islamist extremists formed the group known as Al-Qaeda or Mm Al-Qaeda, pronounced whatever Mm -hmm. way you want. Um, But, you know, when you were talking about the British, though, mm -hmm. if you go back and you read about that time. um, That was prior to the 20s. Correct. Right. They, the, uh, the British were 
wanted a guy in charge in, a, in Afghanistan that would basically be like a puppet government mm. for the British. To Classic. Control. Yeah, to control, and they picked a guy, but then he, you know, wasn't uh, complying with what all they wanted, so they removed him. It was like regime change, right? Like the British did regime change in Af- Afghanistan to put their guy in there. So then when Russia started eyeing it, that's what they did. They put a, a guy in there, and then it was like their guy, and then, you know, nobody likes to be ruled by a puppet government, right? So we instigated, because we were enemies with the with Soviet Union, we instigated the Afghanis to be like, oh, hate this foreigner who's, you know, this guy's just a, a plant from the Soviets. Like, but it might be true. Like, I'm not saying that that stuff isn't true, but we, instead of, like, being the better side of the coin so that they would actually, well, they say win hearts and minds, like the United States better than Russia, we just were like, oh, that guy's a traitor. Like, go get him. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we just turned them against Russia instead of trying to actually legitimately, like, invest in their country, be their friends. You know what I mean? Like, Right. So then uh, in 1989, uh, the Soviet troops withdraw. Um, fast forward a little bit to 1995 is when the Taliban makes its appearance on the mm-hmm. scene. We hear about the Taliban a lot now. Um, 95, that was crazy to me. Again, uh, reading a lot about this, I guess I just didn't really have a timeline of when these certain extremist groups really mm-hmm. formed. Isn't it funny, too, that we didn't hear shit about ISIS-K? Like, where did ISIS-K... It came out of nowhere. came what out of that, fucking like a nowhere. New, a new serial over <laughs> Special K? Like, ISIS-K just... Yeah, what the fuck? Where, CNN, where were you on that? Like, nobody told us anything about ISIS-K, and now all of a sudden, oh my God, they're worse than anyone else. And crazy enough... Um, well, in 95, when the Taliban makes it appear, it's his appearance, uh, the United States refused to recognize them as any kind of authority. But in the beginning, they they gained so much, you know, uh, approval from the people because they, you know, the Afghani people were dealing with drought and famine and war and all these things. And the Taliban coming in with its quote unquote religious values um, did do things like crack down on the drug crimes and, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, well, it might be cutting people's hands off to, like, enforce the law, but, like, the people who were living there and all the suffering right. re- were receptive to that because they right. were like, at least somebody's bringing some kind of law and order to all this, right. this, this thing. No, I mean, that, that, have been going that on. makes sense. When you get into, like, a very extreme environment, you don't look for somebody who's a moderate. You look for someone who's seriously extreme because right. you want them to fix shit. And I think in this country, we saw that, with some of the aspects of Trump's personality because he seemed very, he would say these just crazy, like, things that nobody else would ever say. And he was appealing to those people that were like, we want someone who's really going to do something to the people we don't like. <laughs> so then leading up to that, um, in, the, in the 90s, late 90s, uh, Al-Qaeda bombed some American embassies in Africa. Mm-hmm. And uh, Clinton took some kind of retaliatory action against that, but I don't think it resulted in anything, no, really. he blew up, like, an, they say an aspirin factory or something. <laughs> and people accused Clinton of just doing that because the Monica Lewinsky thing was, like, blowing up right then. And mm. a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, he was trying to, like, look over here, look at this thing. And I don't know whether that was legit or not, but, yeah, he did that, you know. So then, you know, 2000, 2001, around that time is when um, – um, sorry, the name just left my mind. Terrorist. Osama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden, sorry. <laughs> totally left my head. Uh, Osama bin Laden, we're, he's really on our radar now, right? 
mm-hmm. early 2000s. Um, and they claim that although he is a Saudi, that he is hiding with the Taliban in mm-hmm. Afghanistan. So mm-hmm. for anybody who has lost on the confusion of the terrorists that committed 9-11, they were Saudi Arabian, Osama bin Laden was the head of al-Qaeda, the, the group that carried it out. No. No. What, what do you mean? Uh, I don't think that he was head of that. Wasn't that the whole claim? Um, well, I mean, they blame Osama bin Laden for the 9-11 attacks. Yeah, I mean, he had tr- he had terrorist training camps, but I don't know that the people that actually carried out the attacks are working for him. I, I'm not sure. I guess I'm not sure. That is my understanding, and that um, the whole reason we went to Afghanistan in the first place was because that is where Osama was, mm-hmm. um, which, I mean, was true. <laughs> okay, I'm wrong. He was the emir, they call it, of al-Qaeda. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah right. I, that's what you're I was right. under. Okay, so, yeah, so anyway, anyway, anyone under the uh, not understanding that gray right. line there, that's how we ended up in Afghanistan. Right. <laughs> Looking for Osama bin Laden, who we attribute mm-hmm. to being responsible for I mean, for he 9/11. is Saudi. Right. Right. I mean, he is Saudi, and the attackers were Saudi. Maybe I'm thinking of, um, you know, they tried to link uh, Saddam Hussein to al-Qaeda, and they were everybody in the world was like, that's total bullshit. He would never work with al-Qaeda. Maybe that's what I was thinking of. But yeah, okay, so sorry about that. That's okay. Um, okay, so then we tried to basically get the Taliban to give up Osama bin Laden. And they were like, no, fuck that. We're not doing that for sure. Uh, after after the uh, September 11th attacks. And I mean, the rest is history, I guess. We, we immediately <laughs> went to Afghanistan and we've been there since, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but here's one thing I do want to say, though, that when all this stuff happened... So everybody and their brothers like, why have we been there for twenty years? Like, well, what, I mean, it is important to know that the reason when it's we, taking so long. When we got there in the two thousands, in the early two thousands, we did make a lot of progress. Well, our goal though, when we first went in, like you said, was to eradicate the ter- terrorist training camps and to get assurances from whatever government became established, even though it might be the Taliban, that they would make sure no more anti-American terrorists set up camp in their fucking country which when you look at the topographical like map of afghanistan good luck with that yeah super mountainous country good luck with that like if there's some terrorist training first of all if there's some terrorist training camp in some odd ass corner of afghanistan those people don't have the technology to find that shit and nor are they going to give it shit you know what i mean like if if you're the president of afghanistan you've got enough to deal with and there's some little training camp over there I mean, maybe U.S. satellites would pick it up and be like, hey, you guys got to go deal with that. Like, maybe that would happen. Well, We'd that's part of the problem, have, too. always have to keep an eye on it because they don't have the technology to do it. The people say, you know, we were over there for 20 years. How come we can't deal with the problem? You know, they talk about the mountainous terrain being such a problem there. Um, right, but here's my issue, is that we went over there, and first we kept moving the goalpost. So first we didn't want terrorist training camps there. Then we wanted them to make sure that, um, you know, well, women should have more rights. And, like, I'm not saying I'm against that. But what I'm saying is we kept moving the goalposts, which is one reason our time there got extended. And then on top of that, we said we wanted to train the Afghan military so that they could be stable enough to resist the terrorists taking back over, right? So we're there for 20 years. We, we, we did a ton of infrastructure, spent billions upon billions. Like if you just look at the ring road that goes around the exterior of Afghanistan, it's the main road. 
if we were like, well, if we build roads here and they have access to, so they'll build up as a country economically, they'll become more modernized just as a fact of cities and whatnot. So we spent tons of money on infrastructure. The terrorists blew it all up. So we, we threw money in the toilet in Afghanistan. Now, the military people and the military contracting people who are all now your experts on CNN and MSNBC and Fox and all these, when you see somebody on there, The Intercept did a story about this. When you see somebody on there that says, well, here's our military expert in consulting or whatever, that person is making money from the defense contracting business that so they want the war to continue forever okay please look these people up because that's all their motive is is to line their pockets they don't give a shit about the people in afghanistan or the people in the united states it's all a profit motive for these so-called expert commentators on all the news media so when you get past that bullshit my question is okay so we're there for 20 years at one point we they had 189,000 uh Afghan official Afghan troops. We helped them develop a police department. Right. Well, and in, in 2005, they had like legitimate elections. I mean, it's and legitimate court as system. We, right. Okay. And then um, I know what was it? 2000. Let me see here. 2011. We we did get Osama bin Laden finally. Mm-hmm. So I guess to bring that all here, if we were going to pull out, I don't know why we didn't. At that point, it seemed like when Obama was in office, we were making some progress. Um, like I said, 2005, they had the elections. Mm-hmm. Um, and 2009 was when Obama deployed like almost 20,000 troops well, to he train started, them. He didn't he start a withdrawal at first and then some shit started happening. So then he did a surge. He sent like a ton of troops over there. Like he started pulling them out and then this kind of shit started happening. And then he did a surge where he sent a whole bunch back in to tamp it down. Yeah, in, two, in 2009, he said, it says 17,000 troops they sent basically to um, train, to train people, to train civilians. Um, and then, like I said, 2011, they got Osama bin Laden. So I feel like at that point, we were like, all right, we sent people here, we're doing training. You know, we got the guy we came for. Right. If we were going to pull out, that would have been well, the Well, there are a it. lot of people who agree with you. Like, I've seen a lot of articles saying Obama could have got us out back then and didn't. So that was his screw up. But, you know, he was also the drone strike king. And, I mean, who knows how many civilians were turned into terrorists because of the civilians getting killed by all the drone strikes. I don't know. Well, and that was my other point, too, is that, you know, do you you think that by America continuing to be there, I mean, we know that the education system they have there isn't great. And, you know, you go to to some of the parts of, of Afghanistan where... The infrastructure is crumbling. People are starving. You know what I mean? It's a war-torn area. Um, it can't be hard to radicalize these people. Propaganda is probably not hard. You know, well, propaganda is not hard. All you have to do is walk into an area and be like, you don't want it to be like this? Well, guess whose fault it's like this? America's fault. Right, You sure. know, so is our presence there doing more damage no, and absolutely. building more? Mm-hmm. Because it's like first we had, you know, Al-Qaeda and then the Taliban and now we have ISIS and it just seems like, you kill one guy and another one just right. fills his shoes. So I don't necessarily know that us pulling out of here in the way that we did was the smartest. But again, like I said, I'm glad I'm not the one making this decision because mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't seem like there's winning on either side for us. Right. I mean, do we occupy it forever? Right. <laughs> and this is my thing too. So the numbers started out at like 189,000 and then they dropped down some to like 160,000. But at the time that we... The Biden like pulled us out. I believe we only had about two thousand people. Yes. So 
2300 I believe. Think about this. From, forget everything that you hear in the media and everything. Just common sense. Ask yourself this question. There's only 2,000 U.S. troops in Afghanistan. Were they really holding the Taliban back? I mean, maybe, but it's also important no, to mention that they were not. In the 20 years that we were over there, we first of all, we significantly reduced the amount of troops in 2013, 2014. Obama brought a lot of the troops home. We were like, all right, things are calming down here. You know, NATO left. The Afghanistan army was taking over what NATO mm-hmm. was doing. There was a lot of progress there, too. But it's significant to mention, you know, uh, the last uh, press conference, whatever you want to call it, the General Milley did that uh, we lost like 2,000, 3,000 people over there and another 20,000 some injured in the 20 years that we've been there. So mm-hmm. it's not like it's not like, oh, we've just been occupying it with zero you know, loss on our end, because despite the money, there have mm-hmm. also been 20,000 people injured, over 2,000 killed. Right. I mean, and so. Uh, along with what you said about Obama, like he did pull out the traditional, you know, military, but he went crazy with drone strikes. And I mean, not in Afghanistan, right? But he did 563 drone strikes, okay, compared to Bush's 57. So that's why I call Obama the drone strike king because he liked some drone strikes and he did them in Pakistan, Somalia, Yemen, places like that. But a lot of those people are Muslims. So what does that do to other places where there's Muslims? Oh, they're coming for you next. You know what I'm saying? Like that is used for propaganda. Mm-hmm. These other countries say, look, you and know, it, America's coming to kill all the Muslims. They're going to come kill see all of you. When um, the amount of troops after that was, you know, more troops were brought home. Because when Obama left office, we still had over 5,000 troops in Afghanistan. Um so at some point during Trump's presidency, about that number halved, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I, I don't remember hearing about that at all. Um, because, again, we get back to this. It's very politicized. Mm-hmm. You know, people who supported Trump wanting to bring the troops home when he was in office are now criticizing Biden for doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like they're making excuses like, well, Trump would have done a better job or this and that. But the reality is, is you're just choosing sides right. because it's who your guy is. Right. Um, and I'm not trying to do that here. I'm just... I don't know what the answers are. The shit that goes on in Afghanistan, it seems like the history of their country since they became a country is is rife with civil wars and, and occupations. And mm-hmm. they've got so many different groups of people fighting for, for different things. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just always been conflict over there. Right. And then you have people who are suffering from said conflict, so then they fall victim to the next person who wants mm-hmm. to be in power. And it's just mm-hmm. like... I don't really know well, what the answer a lot was. Of times, a lot of times the way that we establish a puppet government in a country is by finding a group that whose views oppose whoever the current leader is. So if we want that leader, if we want regime change somewhere, like going in ourselves is just going to cause the people there to be like, oh, we got to, like what happened with the Mujahideen, we got to bind together to fight the external enemy, right? So what they figured out is a better plan is to go into a country and find whatever is the, the opposition group to that leader, stir them all up, feed them full of propaganda, give them weapons, and have them go fight their leader, and we call it a civil war, okay? Then our media tells about all the atrocities being committed by the person that we want to be gone, and we say we have to go in and support them. We've been doing that since the Spanish Civil War. We went into... Um, you know, uh, t- to supposedly remove the boot 
of the, off the Spanish boot off the neck of the Filipinos. And as soon as we got the Spanish out, we, we wanted to take over. Right, right. And, but all of our news media was all about how horrible the Spanish were treating. We have to go, you know, help these poor people. Like, that's what we do. We spin it so that we can... Well, I guess that's what shocked me, too. And, and just uh, for correction there, the, the over 5,000, 5,500 troops that were still there when Obama left office were there until um, November of 2020. We cut it down to 2,500 troops by January. That was before Biden was inaugurated. Mm-hmm. So um, that's when it happened. Mm-hmm. Right before Bar- Biden got into office, mm-hmm. we cut it down to twenty five. And maybe Trump but, um, made some deal with the Taliban and, and, to hold off their shit well, until the, after Biden got in. That there. was the whole. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's a conspiracy. But in February of twenty nineteen, because um, doesn't it was, seem weird? They took it down from five thousand to two thousand troops, and like, no, like Lillard, nothing happened. Like I said, those two thousand troops were not holding off the Taliban, right? And well, obviously, and I mean. neither and, was the not the Afghan army because what the hell happened to them? Right, where we, the fuck we signed, did they go? The U.S. signed a peace agreement with the Taliban, which, first of all, I feel like, what the fuck is that? I mean, what happened to like we don't negotiate with terrorists and like all of that? I mean, I feel like all of the Trump people. If if you walked up, to, if if it would have been backwards and you would have said before Obama left office, he signed a peace agreement with the Taliban. Everybody who voted for Trump would have been like outraged oh, yeah, over this sure. right yeah. you know but so we told trump, you he was a muslim right yeah exactly <laughs> right so this happens under trump presidency that this peace agreement is signed this, this was in 2019 yeah okay but then um a u.s soldier was killed in the taliban attack and trump was like oh no it's off right okay which so, is right but i mean honestly how far can you trust them but on the other hand i will say that when ireland was subjected to the troubles you know um one of the things they talked about was Sinn Féin, which was a militant arm of, you know, the idea that Ireland would have to be one independent state away from, you know, Britain. Um, they were considered a terrorist organization. And Clinton was like, listen, if you ever want this stuff to end, you have to give them a seat at the political table or else they're going to continue <laughs> forever. So Sinn Féin was brought in and is now a political party. So, yeah, did they do terrorist things and blow things up and whatnot? Because they felt like they were fighting for their independence and whatever. But at some point, if you want to stop, like, actually having fights with people, you have to talk to them. Now, if they only want to cut your head off, if they have no other political objective, then you must die because you're the wrong color or you're the wrong religion. There's no negotiating with that. Right. But if someone has legitimate political objectives and they want rights and they're willing to die for them, maybe sitting down and talking to those people wouldn't be a bad idea. Well, and that's what, you know, when Trump got into this agreement with the Taliban, you know, you hear that you hear that on the news and you're like, excuse me, what the fuck? And weren't they saying that they were going to start letting women have more freedoms and stuff? Were they saying that? Uh, I'd have to go back and, and read specifically what the Taliban's agreements coming to terms with Because they were that saying were. that the first I, Personally, week that I think that this Trump, was going on, Trump probably sat down with them because now ISIS has come into play, right? Mm-hmm. So the Taliban, from what I understand, they want, cons- they want control of their country. Right. They mm-hmm. want to control Afghanistan with their rule, yeah. with with Sharia law, whatever. You know, that's that's their prerogative. They wanted in Afghanistan. ISIS, on the other hand, I don't know really what their goal is at all. I mean, the, the types of things and attacks that ISIS carries out seem to have absolutely no message except for intimidation and violence. I mean, they blow up their own hospitals. You know what I mean? Shoot kids going to school. Like, what is that? 
The ISIS-K people? Yeah, well, ISIS, ISIS-K. I don't, I gotta be honest with you. Don't know what the difference is there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is it just a, a new group of more extremist people? I can't, gotta be honest. Didn't hear about ISIS-K or that name right. until That's just this so past crazy. week. But I think that that was the logic in trying to make some kind of agreement with the Taliban is that the, if the Taliban became in power in Afghanistan, we can't really control, we might not agree with it, but they'll have it under control over there, which would stop ISIS. But I don't think the Taliban is really fighting ISIS all that much. It well, doesn't really seem like it, which I don't know why we're surprised because when we wanted Osama, the Taliban wouldn't give us that either. So I don't really think they're in an interest of helping America ever. I don't know why when we sat down to these agreements that that was even a thought in anyone's mind. Oh, I don't know. It says the uh, Islamic State IS, ISIS-K is, stands for Khorasan Province. So they're just a specific area. And it says that they are an official affiliate of the Islamic State movement operating in Afghanistan as recognized by the Islamic State core leadership in Iraq and Syria. So, I mean, maybe the Taliban just like, this is our country and you're foreigners you know what i mean if they're if they're affiliated with another country maybe they look at them as invaders i don't know according to the mainstream media you know the taliban and isis-k are mortal enemies but i mean if 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 the taliban's goal is an islamic caliphate in afghanistan which is what they claim they want and isis-k's goal is that islamic caliphate caliphate in the world why would you be fighting? Because, like, it's just a subset of, like... Well, I think the only reason the Taliban would have to not group in with ISIS is because if they try to go worldwide, that's when you're going to have a problem with literally every other country. Yeah, they might. Then they might come in and interfere with your little part of... That's the logic (laughs) that I'm trying to understand. I mean, that's true. That that maybe Trump sat down with them thinking, well, it's the Taliban is the lesser of two evils because at least they're just keeping it contained to their own country. And to make matters... That's what I would think. And to make matters more complicated, okay... Pakistan and India are enemies, right? So Pakistan is between Afghanistan and India. So they both have some geopolitical interest in Afghanistan as well. So Afghanistan literally has Pakistan's back. So if India were to invade, like in a ground war, and they got so far into Pakistan, they would require probably help from the Afghanis to push them back into India, right? Um, And there was also something I read about a pipeline that Pakistan wanted to put through Afghanistan into Uzbekistan or something. I don't know. But anyway, so those two countries have their own interest in there. But from what I gather is that Pakistan and Afghanistan are pretty tight. And India is like the outsider in that whole triangle. Mm. So if ISIS-K is supported by Pakistan, you wouldn't think that they would be so, um, you know, disconnected from the Taliban. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I've I've got to be honest. And reading about all of those different groups, I can't follow the pattern of logic Mm -hmm. from the attacks that they commit to really what their overall goal is. Mm -hmm. I can't really follow it. it. Maybe it's just like, okay, let's say there's two gangs in Chicago. They're both drug dealers. They both make their money off illicit drugs. Hey, why don't they get along? Because they have so much in common. Because they're turf. It's a turf war. They both have the same lack of morals and the same criminal, you know, enterprise. But they're enemies just because they're both fighting in the same piece of territory. So maybe that's ISIS-K and, and, the, and the Taliban are just like, no, this is my block. You know what I'm saying? 
it might not be that complicated. So then that brings us up to this point. All this stuff has been happening in August. Um, you know, Biden said that he wants a complete U.S. troop withdrawal by 9-11 of 2021. Um, and surprisingly, you know, like reading about General Milley's statements and, you know, other, other generals, the, la- the last statements that they gave, they're not really giving opinions one way or another of what they think, is this a mistake or isn't it? Which, which are not I, supposed to. And they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, they basically just focused on, you know, we have lost a lot of lives over there, mm-hmm. and we people have been injured, people have been hurt, mm-hmm. um, thanked everyone for the service that they gave, and, that this, and, and made the commitment that they're not going to leave anybody behind. Right. Anybody who helped America or fought for America is not going to be left behind, and that, you know, they kind of echoed that, that, you know, Biden might have this date, for mm-hmm. when he wants these people out. Mm-hmm. But the generals are saying, we are not leaving people who helped us. Right. So here's my thing, too. Like, as far as the generals go, I want a congressional inquiry into, basically, I want to see all of your documents, everything you've done for the last 20 years in regard to training the Afghan military. Because what the fuck? Well, and that's what I, I, I keep bringing up that. General Milley because I specifically sought out what he had to say about it because I have, I trust him. Yeah, I like I, Millie too, but I'm just saying like and he what, even what said, was go- how and did all you the, keep this a secret for so long? And all of the contingency plans that they had, he said they never saw the Afghanistan civilians or military that they had trained folding this fast. Okay, did we take, now I've seen videos of the Taliban trolling around in Humvees and shit that we supposedly left there. Which is common for the U.S. military okay, to do. Okay, so let's just say. But then there are other conflicting reports saying that, you know, some of these soldiers, the Afghani soldiers are saying, well, we're in fucking Afghanistan. Do you know how hard it is to navigate when the U.S. soldiers packed up all their night vision and GPS? I mean, they took it all with them. What were we supposed That's to do? That's what I was going to say. So if did they, they leave did, the equipment or didn't if they? If they took all their guns away from them, if they took everything and said, but like, what was the purpose then? If you're going to go over there and train these people and equip them to fight the Taliban only to leave and take all of your weapons with you so they can be slaughtered, it makes still makes no sense. Well, and this is the frustration I get where, you know, you're trying to do research on a topic and you find, you know, every news outlet talking about it, but no solid information no, because that's opinion. what I'm trying to find. Yeah, it's just all opinion. I watch different reporters going to different areas in Afghanistan and one that one of the... Um, the local police there who works with the Afghanistan military, they were using like a lawn tractor or something to field for mines. And and the lady was like, well, why are they doing this? And they're like, well, we don't have Humvees. We don't have tanks, you know, and just somebody walking over it is not going to set it off. So basically this guy's risking his life to see if there's mines out here so that civilians can walk through here safely. And I'm like, so we didn't leave them equipment in this or just this pe- these people in this part of Afghanistan don't have it? Maybe people up near Kabul do have equipment. I don't know. I, I want to know. Did we, did we train them and then take all the equipment? I don't know. I can't find any information. Well, that was on my this. only. That was my only logical step. Was that the only reason they folded up as fast as they did was because we took all of the weapons and they literally had no choice but to surrender or be slaughtered. So, but if we left equipment and guns and everything, like they should, if they weren't willing to fight for their own country, then here's the thing. No matter whether it was today next week or next month or next year or 10 years from now if it if they folded up in two weeks after 20 years of us being there it never would have made a difference how it was inevitable yeah yeah so you know what i mean and when they were kind of tearing biden up about it he did kind of say that like well oh he absolutely did it's it would have been this way next week or a month from now but i'm no defender of him because 
He should have anticipated this. He should have had, and here's, here's the other thing that I'm, I have a lot of questions about. If you lived in Afghanistan because you were a contractor and you've been working there for 10 years or, you know, you were a translator or whatever, and Biden said in April he was pulling the 2,000 remaining troops out of Afghanistan, why would you wait until August to be rushing the airport? Like, wouldn't you maybe take a vacation or get the fuck out of the country like a month ahead of time to see what happens when that happens? Like, I don't understand how all these people who are there on the ground, reading newspapers every day, talking to their neighbors every day, listening to whatever's going on over there, didn't have a clue that the Taliban was going to come pouring into the city. Right, like, but, I mean, how did nobody know that? Just because come someone... On was helping the u.s military or troops on the ground there or even being a translator or what whatever um i wouldn't say that that necessarily means that they have the means to just book a flight and leave or maybe they have family there that they're trying to not leave well what i'm or saying maybe is the u.s told them listen when we decide to pull out you helped us and we'll make sure you get out so they just stayed until the end to leave with the u.s military i mean i don't know the circumstances well of these if, people. if i was there and, and this is not meant to be like a blame the victim thing. I'm just asking you this as a question. If I helped the U.S. military and Biden said, we're pulling out by September 11th and it's April. I'm going to be calling somebody at the console and be like, listen, I need you to help me get out now. I don't want to wait until the last minute to get out of this country because if they come in and take over, I'm a prime target. I have to get out. Like I would have been talking about that for, may, for maybe April until June, and then I'm fucking finding my way way out. Those are all things that I think are important. They know the Taliban cuts people's fucking heads off. They lived with them before. But then again, maybe our occupation has lasted so long that kids like you who were born when this shit started don't really remember life under the Taliban. So maybe they don't realize, no, these motherfuckers cut people's heads off and shit. Absolutely. You can't trust them when they say they're not going to do that. You can't trust that you're still going to be well, able to that, go to school. Well, that was the other thing that they were talking about. I don't know what, I think it was CSNBC, maybe MSNBC, I'm not sure. One of those, you know, alphabetical nightmares. Um, that they were providing passage to these people, people who were getting to the airport to leave, to evacuate safely, whatever. And they, they were talking about these Taliban checkpoints. And they were talking about them on the news like, well, as long as you presented the proper paperwork, the Taliban is letting people through. And I was like, are they really saying this on the news? Like, are people listening to this? Believe the Taliban. We're talking about a fucking terrorist group. Mm -hmm. And you think that they're genuinely just looking at people's passports and paperwork and being like, okay, go ahead. You trust that. I mean, so if a guy comes up and is a translator and says, I've been helping the U.S. military for 20 years and I have you know, I have approval from the State Department to leave with them, and he hands the Taliban this paperwork. What stops them from just ripping the fucking paperwork up and be like, you're a nobody now? Well... Why would you put that past terrorist groups to do I that? Here's what I would say about that. Because you got to remember that whatever their, uh, you know, whatever their motivation is, they don't want squashed. So if people are, that are affiliated with us start saying, well, we want to go to the airport... And a Taliban kills that person or beats that person up or doesn't let him go. And that word gets back. There's a very high probability that some shit's going to happen to them. And maybe we won't leave. And they want us out. That's what they want. Is for Now, I'm not saying that once we're totally out, the Taliban's not going to do a 180 and start cutting people's heads off again. All I'm saying is 
at that very moment when the only thing they have to lose is people that they consider to be enemies going back to the U.S. or whatever, maybe they would let those people out so that they could just say, okay, here's, here's the agreement, Biden. We'll let all the people that you want out out if you get out and stay out. And then the minute everybody's out, then they can take over the country hardcore. But if they fuck it up midway and start telling, you know, killing Americans and killing contractors or whatever who's trying to get to the airport, all bets are off and we, re, we re, reinvade. And that's, they, they want us out so bad. I think they might actually let people through. But then what happened with this thing at the airport? Was that ISIS? Like, we won't, how do we know? Right. You again, know what I'm saying? Well, and I guess that's, yeah, that's my point, I guess. And I was that- really shocked, I will say, that they showed blown up bodies on the news. And... When Katrina happened, I remember them talking about there was some video uh, pictures in a Time magazine or something. It was so everyone was so horrified and it was such a scandal that there was a body that you could. It was it's like you don't show dead Americans. What? But the rule doesn't apply to other human beings. Like this was people's like. I thought that when that whole Logan Paul How thing happened, I know you're not probably familiar with that, but he's like one of those internet stars or whatever mm-hmm. YouTubers, and he went to Japan to the suicide, quote, the force, suicide yeah. force, and he showed the body mm-hmm. and like ruined his career or whatever. Yeah, which I mean, dude's still famous, so I guess it didn't ruin it. But like yeah. he was like a everyone it was a hated scandal, him, right? Yeah, it was this big scandal, and I'm like, I don't really understand that because that's no different than what. I mean, they're criticizing him like he's got some kind of moral failing. But I'm like, again, this kid's like my age. We've literally grown up seeing this shit on TV. It's not. Yeah. I mean, do you know how many times I saw over and over and over again played like the media? Like it's gore porn for them to show the videos of 9-11 when people were jumping, jumping out yeah, of the buildings for their sure. death. I've been seeing that since I was five oh, years yeah. old. And, and you want people my age to be like, oh, some we have. A, no, we've literally been shown that this shit sells and people right. will watch it. Absolutely. And like, so and this getting kid, worse. This kid yeah. profited off of that and you're mad at him. Right. Like, I'm not saying it's not fucked up, but like. What about the mainstream media? Right, exactly. I mean, when I can remember when the Boston bombing happened, yeah. watching on live television, horrified as they're like yeah. wheeling people with their legs blown off. And this mm. is on live TV. Mm-hmm. Not a fucking problem to show that. And those were yeah. Americans on American soil. I mean, we, we just play, we play games with that. Yeah. Like, oh, this person's wrong for doing it, but that, you know, I don't, I don't get that. Well, and you're absolutely right about the media being gore porn and being like, I mean, CNN is so terrible anymore. I like, can't watch it. I can't. They're just like, um, you know, how horrible can we make this story? Right. Like, the death count's probably going to go up. Well, and I, t- I, like, s- I made this point. Time, man. We were talking about this a couple of days ago is that. Snapchat has this interesting feature called Snap Map where you can zoom up on any place in the world and view Snapchats that are being posted from that location publicly, right? So just out of curiosity, I've been looking at Kabul specifically right where the airport is. And, you know, CNN day after day after day is showing these videos of traffic and they're showing that reoccurring video of the people on the tarmac and falling off the plane and all this horrific shit. Mm -hmm. They're showing it every day like this is what's happening 24-7 every single day right here by the airport. But I looked at snaps of people that people are posting today, right now, live time, you know, and it's like. Maybe out of all the, and maybe maybe Snapchat's just removing them for violence. I don't know. Mm. That could be it too. You have to consider all that. But there are some people in the city, two blocks from the airport, that are like posting videos of them driving to work, listening to the radio, mm. and it's just like, not that that's not horrible because clearly these people are so used to being in a war torn country that this is just mm. another day for them. But it's like, it's just insane the difference in the narratives. That's you know CNN posts right. this footage from one day when things were really mm. bad, and they're just posting it over and over and over right. again. 
while people who live there are just like, yeah, this is just another day in our reality. Right. You know, maybe they should post the reality of like, look, these people are already back to normal everyday life because they've been dealing with this for fucking ever. Yeah. Forever. Well, you know, the lady that does the reporting over there live for CNN, I can't remember her name. She's a blonde lady, but she's always got the, you know, she has to wear the headscarf or whatever. And she goes up and tries to fucking interview these Taliban guys, right? And, you know, the one guy's getting all pissed off, and he keeps saying, in, in Arabic, he keeps telling her, cover her face, cover her face. You know what I mean? And they get really pissed off. And then they start following the CNN reporter, and then they tried to hit one of them. And you could see the cameras going all crazy and shit, like, because they're trying to, like, har- like harass them and everything. And and then there's, like, this gunfire that's going, like, maybe a block away. This and this lady's just, like, looking around, and I'm just like, this chick has some cojones, man. I mean... You know what I'm saying? They were all criticizing the one reporter, that too, they showed crazy. on there, who there was a group of... Um, she should get some kind of an award, man. There That's was a group insane. of men in the background, I think, sitting on a car or something, and they were chanting, um, not in English, but they were chanting, Death to death America. To America right. And she was like, it's so strange because they're saying Death to America, but the, you know they're they're laughing and they're joyous and it's so strange and people like were criticizing her like she mm-hmm. was making a joke of it. And I'm like, no, that is that's that is what she should be reporting yeah, right there. Right. That this is fucking normal, normal life, for them. Yeah. This is normal right. everyday life. Right. You know what I mean? I think people lose, we, we get these blips in the media where we're like, oh, nothing's happening there. And it's like one day of tragedy we talk about for three weeks. And then we just mm-hmm. assume everything's fine again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, it's more yeah. like this constant fear 24-7 that people learn to and live you know, with. that Florida building collapse. You know, they were interviewing people whose family members were maybe under that rubble being crushed slowly to death. And CNN couldn't get enough of it. Oh, I know. They couldn't get enough of it, man. It's like, it's like, uh, I don't know what you would even call it. Like, it's not gore porn. It's, it's like, uh, just like wants to rip your heart out, like make you cry for these people. And it's like, well, if you're a fucking human being, you're already going to cry for those people. Like you don't need CNN to make it as bad as possible. (laughs) They just want everything to have such a negative, horrible, I mean, life is horrible sometimes. But it's the way they talk about it, like they like they're salivating over the the horribleness of it, and it's just it's scary. Yeah, it is terrifying. It's very sociopathic, in my opinion, that they can be like that. So, well, I wanted to, yeah, sociopathic. That on that, I was watching this. I have this Pluto TV, right? It's a free app you could download. It's got all this free television on it, or mm-hmm. whatever. And they have their own news channel, and I don't know if they're just rebroadcasting something from another news channel with their label on it. Not really sure. All I know is it's not CNN. It's not Fox News. So I had it on. And I was, they were, this lady was talking about the Supreme Court decision recently to end this uh, eviction um, moratorium. Right. And this lady is sitting in this house, man. You can just tell by the back. She's on a crystal clear 4K camera via Zoom on live national television with her curio cabinet in the back that's like solid mahogany filled with all these knickknacks and just all this fucking furniture in her house and she's got bleach blonde hair, she's super tan. Like, you can just tell this woman has money. She's wealthy. Mm-hmm. It's clear to see from the background for how she looks, everything. And she's going on and on about how she has like 80 different properties and these people aren't paying their rent. And who's going to make up for my lost profits on this? And I'm like, this bitch is seriously talking about making people fucking homeless while she's sitting Wait, in her little news mansion. Channel was it? It was just this Pluto News. So oh, I don't Pluto know. News. I don't know who, if they're just rebroadcasting it or if it's their own news. I'm not sure. But I was like, Jesus Christ, this country really is full of fucking sociopaths. I mean, I'm not saying that I have the answers for that shit. I'm not saying that right. landlords should just have to give up their property. I'm not saying right. any of that. But holy shit, could but you then, have like, a little, like, okay, empathy? But listen, but then CNN does the opposite because they have, like, people on there and they tell their stories. And I'm not going to repeat the specific stories because I'm not trying to, like, go down, you know, 
be, be down on people. But, like, the people they show are the people you would have, like, if you're a poor person who's worked under brutal conditions and suffered, like, pretty much your whole life, you're watching these people and you're like, shut the fuck I up. I know, right, exactly. Go get a job, you douche. Right. <laughs> it's like, quit your fucking one. The one guy was like, well, you know, um, basically was saying that he couldn't make the kind of money he wanted to make at the jobs that were available. And it's like, well, guess what? Your job's not there anymore. So go earn a paycheck. You know what I mean? Go work, dude. Like, stop crying about yeah, it. Yeah, it is crazy. He's especially fully vaccinated, but he's still scared to go out. I'm just like, okay, then. Sorry, bud. You got issues, but you got to go get a job. Yeah. It's pretty fucking nuts, especially living in, like, a poverty. He said he didn't like, want to do restaurant work. He wanted to do the same job he used to do because he didn't have to be around the public, and he didn't want to do restaurant work, even though he's fully vaccinated because he's still nervous. And I'm like, how do you think food service felt? Who had to still? Right. Who still had to do this shit? <laughs> Come on, guy. It is a little hard. I mean, it's like. I try not to be that guy because I'm I like, you're, you're you don't want to judge are, people, but at the same time, you're like, Shut I know it, it's hard when you're coming from a position where it's like, not you're just, <laughs> you're just being told too fucking bad. I mean, yeah. So anyway, uh, I know we're running over a little bit here, so I guess, uh, closing thoughts on this, we're definitely going to do a part two to this, uh, and try to follow up with some actual data, some actual numbers, um, well, I was just was going to say, like, we didn't mention that, you know, we talked about some of the history of the invasion of Afghanistan, but way back in 331 B.C., <laughs> Alexander the Great went into Afghanistan riding elephants. I guess he thought the elephants would be so terrifying that the country would just surrender. And I think he did have some gains there, but I'm just saying, like, their country has, it, it doesn't, other than it does have rare earth in, in, minerals, which recently have become, you know, kind of a prize in, as far as uh, a resource. Like um, lithium? Yes, lithium and mm -hmm. things that are used to make electronic devices. Um, they also have copper and some other minerals. So they, they, they do have some resources. But before before now, it was kind of like, who, what do they got that anybody wants? You know right. what I mean? So really, it was just their strategic position kind of in the center of all these different bordering countries or whatever that made them the focus of all these regime change things. So, um, but yeah, it, it's known as the graveyard of empires because right. every empire that tried to go in was unsuccessful at taking over Afghanistan, partly because of the terrain and the, it's just the people there and their extreme hardiness at having to live in that kind of terrain. They're not easily taken over. There's lots of places to hide. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a tough, it's a tough yeah, I guess I just was most excited to do this episode and talk about the full scope of it because I have heard so many people, you know, echoing the, well, we should have never been there. And, mm -hmm. you know, they say that in a position of from when we entered in 2001. And I'm like, well, we were kind of already setting the stage for that in the 80s. Like you got, you know, Ronald Reagan to thank for that. We kind of set that we've been involved long before 2001. Mm -hmm. right. So I think that's important to know that when you're saying things like, well, we should have never been involved. Okay, well, it wasn't it wasn't just the 9/11 right. attacks that we were involved before then. Right. And secondly, that Afghanistan has its problems and had its mm -hmm. problems before we were involved. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know why the US I mean, I don't know. I guess because after 9/11 happened, we had to do something. Well, and Bush had a carte blanche and his true goal was Iraq. That was where he always wanted to go. And but you couldn't really attack Iraq when they had nothing to do with it as much as they strained to try to make it seem like Saddam had something to do with it. He literally had nothing to do with it. 
But if they went into Afghanistan, it was kind of like, well, we'll do that because that's an obvious, like they had training camps there. Right. We'll go into there as an obvious, and then we'll say we're fighting the war on terror and right. we'll just go right on into Iraq. So, you know, I think Iraq was really their main goal, and they just used it as an excuse to, because to, they could have, like you said, get their objectives done and get the fuck out, and they didn't do that. Right. Um, but next time, we're going to do a follow-up episode about this. We're going to try to track down some actual statistics on um, what was the strength the num- in numbers of the Afghan, official Afghan military. Right. Compared to when we got there to when we left. Right. Um, and number two, how much money do we spend in all the time we were there? Number three. Where's the fucking weapons? When we retreated or when we withdrew, did we leave them with weapons to fight? That's another important question. Oh, um, and I, you know, the other thing I was going to bring up to you was, you know, Biden keeps saying over and over again that his whole reason for doing this and pulling out and putting an end to it is because he doesn't want to pr- pass it on to another presidency. And I don't know why that's sticking in my mind. First of all, because I feel like that's a pretty shitty excuse for, for pulling this. Yeah, because you were vice president and didn't right. have no shit in trouble passing it, it, it off. Exactly. So I'm like, is this because you think you're setting up the stage for Kamala to win the next election? You don't want to leave her with it? Or did you just want to pull out and make Trump's plan look bad? Because Biden's looking pretty bad right now for all the stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I kind of want to dive deeper into that because I just feel like coming out and being like, okay, we're doing this major historic event and pulling all of our troops out after 20 years. All because I don't want to hand it off to the next guy. It's kind of a shitty reason. Yeah, it really is. So I want to it's go lame. into that a little bit. It's lame. There's, There's got to be, be more. more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There has to be more. And also we want to find out about the rare earth elements. I'm curious as to whether, you know, China's pretty much cornered the That's market That's exactly on it. what I was going to say. Is that and China- they're always saying, no, Biden's all pro-China or whatever. Well, if he's pro-China, you know... Are we pulling out to make the the stage for China to go in? I mean, they're right on the border. They've got minerals. But that's a horrible decision because all of our military uses those same things. Like, we need that shit. Like, why would we abandon it and leave it to... Well, we do that all the time, but just because it's cheaper to just dump it and leave it. I know, but didn't we not learn anything from the pandemic? That we can't just be like, oh, China, can we have some masks? Oh, China, can we have some drugs? Are you asking if America learned its lesson? No, okay. that may be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> no, we haven't learned our that lesson. That might be the dumbest thing I've ever said. But anyway, no, yeah, we're going to try to deep dive into more of those things. As far as um, as far as predictions, that's that is my prediction right there is that I think that Afghanistan has a history of being occupied. I don't think it's going to be forever. I, I think probably in my lifetime we will see it occupied again. Mm-hmm. And I think the next players on the on the map are, are probably China because mm-hmm. they have interest there and they're bordering it. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine that. You know, if the whole if the whole deal of the Taliban and, or ISIS is to just destroy everything that represents Western culture because it's infidels, this and that, China has a lot of that shit going on too. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they're perfect enemies. So China, I, I can see that. China hates religion. So if you think they're going to allow you to maintain your extremist Muslim beliefs, look at what the Uyghurs in China are going through. They're getting locked up in re-education camps. Right. Well, and the other thing too, I guess, uh, on an ending note, is that I have to say. I'm, I'm not mocking anyone or making fun of anyone who has concerns that now we've pulled our troops out that there will, will be some kind of attack here in America. I, I don't want to mock anybody for saying that because I can, it's a legitimate fear, especially watching the media and seeing the horrible things that are happening. Those people are brutal. It's a legitimate fear, I feel like. It, it would be dumb to think that just because you're inside of America that you're magically shielded. But I would say that Biden made this decision to pull these people out. It's not like he just randomly made this decision. He's got people behind him, generals, uh, experts. We have intelligence. 
You know what I mean? I don't think he would make the decision to pull our troops out if he thought for a half a second that there would a, there would be a following terrorist attack on American soil because then he's going to get all of the blame for that. So I'm thinking people in the high up positions are probably pretty positive that they can protect the you know prevent a terrorist attack mm-hmm. from happening on American soil or they would have never even chanced pulling everybody out because like you said, 2,500 troops. Who cares? He could have, you know what I mean? I just, I would like to reassure people that you shouldn't probably weigh awake, awake at night every night thinking, yeah. oh my God, a terrorist attack's going to happen on American soil. We do still have the biggest and best military. Yeah. We've got a lot of intelligence. I don't think that they would pull over troops out if they thought that there was a risk of a, of a serious terrorist attack happening. I mean, on here's the soil. reality there's always a risk of a serious terror attack. Nobody saw Timothy McVeigh coming. He blew up Oklahoma City and killed 168, what, 168 people or something? I mean, you know, look at the, what happened with that guy that on Christmas last year mm. blew up. That I mean, that could have killed, if that wasn't a busy time of the day, could have killed hundreds of people. You know, so I just think because we live in a free society, we don't have police, like, harassing people on the street, wanding people, checking for bombs. Like, we don't live in that kind of a war zone. So that makes it possible at any time. Right. For right. someone no, to I do guess something my, crazy. I guess my point of that is, is that, the fear that, well, we pulled our troops out, now there's going to be terror attacks on American soil. Do you think that that wasn't considered before Biden said, yes, pull the troops out? So they've got to know something that reassures them that that's not going to immediately okay, happen. What was, the, what was the most recent bomb threat that we had? You don't know about the guy that drove up there and was going to blow up, uh, kill him, blow himself up and, to kill Biden or to show Biden? Yeah, he, a guy drove up to uh, the Capitol in a vehicle with and was like was live streaming no this was here like this month oh really no i didn't hear about this at yeah, all yeah he like drove up there and he was talking to biden saying pick a side and you're in my lane and cause it's rambling crazy shit but basically was go- saying he was gonna blow himself up um as some kind of i guess protest against biden or something like a whack job but he drove up there and it was a big incident on capitol hill and now they're talking about like well we we don't want to take down the defenses because loonies are out there you know what i'm saying like oh so, i mean we for sure have our own intern like it, domestic yeah so I mean, I mean look at that guy that did the mandalay bay he injured like 500 people and killed how many more like 60 people yeah i mean it was i'm not saying it's not possible to happen here i just think the idea of like isis coming to america you know what i mean i mean I it is i mean yeah nothing's I mean, impossible but, but am i gonna lay awake at night i don't fear as much about, about that as i do domestic terror that, that's that's my me. point that's i think if me. i were gonna worry about a terrorist attack i'd i'd say that it's domestic over literally afghanistan's yeah. people from afghanistan or isis or the taliban coming on american soil i just mm-hmm. don't see that happening and i don't think that we would have pulled our troops out if any of our intelligence agencies thought or nsa anything if any of them were like, listen, we can't pull out right now, which is why I think maybe Obama didn't at the time after we got Osama, that we could have made a clean exit there. Maybe he didn't because they had tips that it was going to be bad if we did. But to your point, though, know. about the military, I believe the last Islamic extremist that killed people was on a military base and he was from Saudi Arabia and he was here as part of a training thing. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's touch on that next time, yeah. too. But we will definitely have to write all this down so we, we can hit get, it all next we week. We have to get the facts about all this stuff that the news not talking about. Absolutely. You have any closing thoughts, Mick? Nope. I just hope everybody's hanging in there and being glad for every day you got. <laughs> yeah. Try not to uh, religiously watch the news playing the same 30-second clip of people yeah. falling off of a plane. It's fucking awful. Yeah. I'm not saying you have to shut off 
and not know what's going on in the world. But it's not good for anybody to be sitting here watching no, this over and over. For God's sake, turn that shit off when your kids are around. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Kids are so, I don't know how they're not having nervous breakdowns left and right these days. With well, all again, of- you know, I saw this meme that's like, you know, uh, Gen Xers and boomers criticize millennials for having all this anxiety and all these mental illnesses. Like, oh, people in my generation didn't have that. And the millennials' response is, I literally watched people jump out of a burning building when I was five years old, and you just expect me to not be anxious all the time now? Like, <laughs> no, seriously, it should turn the shit off around your kids. Yeah. I would agree with that. Well, they were probably traumatized because they had to hide under their school desks of a fear of Russia nuking us. That's how True boomers enough. grew up. So they, they have their own psychological <laughs> issues. All right. Well, we'll end on that note. We hope to do another episode on this next week. Um, we may have a guest. I'm, I'm working on that. We'll see. But uh, I don't know, guys. Stay sane out there. This is Juke signing off. This is Mick signing off.